Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given throughout the area. Today's show features Tim Staples and his talk, Matrimony and Holy Orders, recorded at the Gift of Faith Conference in June 2010. And now, Tim Staples. Jewish rabbis, and many of you have probably heard this, it was a common rabbinical practice 2,000 years ago to quote the first verse of a psalm. Why? Because even though most of the world was illiterate 2,000 years ago, even among the Jews, did you know they memorized the psalms from the time they were kids? They could, you know, it's kind of like in our culture. If I said this to you all, oh, there we go again. That's that Wendy's burger. All right. If I said this to you all right now, just a couple of words. Here's the story. Is that amazing? Everybody in here, immediately, you got the whole picture in your head, right? Tiger the dog, three boys, Greg and Marsha, you know, everybody. Why? Because we are a television-addicted culture, unfortunately. But see, in the old days, did y'all know they didn't have CNN back then? They didn't. They did they were addicted to scripture. They lived it. They, bre- they breathed it. They heard it in the synagogue. They heard it at temple. And they knew it. So Jesus, when he said that first verse, everybody had the whole context. This is a psalm of the, the suffering of the messianic servant who in the end, of course, is delivered by God and delivers Israel. So that's another level of meaning there. But I wanted to focus on what the catechism says here, is that Christ becomes so identified with our suffering and our sin that he can say in our place, in our person, if you will, my God, my God, that's the agony that Jesus experienced on the cross. Well, he was already experiencing that agony in Gethsemane. Amen? But now, let's get off that and get to some of the good stuff. Not that that wasn't good. But see, when Christ then says those words, nevertheless, having experienced all of that agony, all of that, nevertheless, not my will. That's why I loved in Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion. Oh, when the devil says to him, can one man take upon himself the sins of the world? That was so profound because that's exactly what Christ in his humanity was struggling with, right? He had to overcome. And Christ says, not my will, but thy will. When he did that, every man in here that's married, hear me. Women too, that are married. When he said, not my will, but thy will be done, an explosion happened. An explosion of grace that would reverberate throughout the universe. An explosion of grace that would empower him to go to the cross. Folks, That is what we experience at the altar when we are married. On your wedding day, and I want to say this to every man, and Father, when you were ordained, when you were stretched out before the bishop, and you were being called to something, let's put it this way for the married folks. How many of y'all realize when you got married, you got in over your head? Raise your hand real high. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. And you know what? And I'll tell you what, on his ordination day right back there, father got in way over his head, right? Why? Because in marriage, folks, ultimately, we are called to get each other to heaven, amen? 
and to drag them kids with us. And in order to do that, you need grace. You need power that goes beyond your nature. See, if you're trying to live your marriage by your own power, that's why you're miserable. Amen? That's why I look at folks in the world and say, how do any marriages make it without Christ? How do any marriages make it without the sacraments? My goodness gracious! Because you're trying to do it by yourself. No! We need supernatural power to enable us to do that which our natures cannot do. And in order to do that, you've got to die. And I'm going to tell you all, this is something we need to teach every young couple preparing for marriage. And I say this to men all the time. Men, if you were not prepared to die for your wife on your wedding day, then you need to rethink what marriage is. And if you're not willing right now to die for your wife and your kids, you need to rethink what marriage is. Because that is what you said on your wedding day. When you said, look, this is what Sister Paula Jean said. Oh, man, I love this. She said, in essence, on, on our wedding day in, in marriage, when we exchange vows, you know what in essence we're saying to each other? We're saying, not my will, but thy will be done. In the presence of God's official witness. Listen, I said to my wife, not my will, but thy will be done. She said to me, not my will, but thy will be done. We died to each other. And in that death, grace flooded in. Amen? And we were empowered to do that which our natures could not do. Folks, catch this. Think about this. Do you realize the only, the only arguments we should ever be having in marriage should be, oh no, honey, your will be done. Oh no, honey, your will be done. That should be the only arguments we ever have. Right? Why? And I'm going to tell you something that's going to rock your world and you won't believe me. I wish my wife was here. But I'm going to tell you, I taught my wife this theology before we were married and we committed to each other and we said, and we, we renew that commitment constantly, that we are going to try as best we can to live this that we know to be true. And that means getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning when that little poop machine needs changing. <laughs> And saying, honey, nope, you stay here. And all you have to do is say a little prayer. I offer this up. Offer this up. Right? Grace explodes into your marriage. It means getting up before work and making breakfast for her and the kids, even when you don't want to. In fact, especially when you don't want to. Amen? And it means, ladies, can I... Oh, somebody's going to get mad at me, but that's okay because my plane leaves later today. Ladies, it means when you know full well you're right, you should take that tongue of yours and rip him up one side and down the other. He is this or that. It means you choose to shut up and say, I love you. And you say, you know what? I'm going to spend an hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament for my husband. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lordy. Somebody said, what planet are you from? (laughs) Folks, this is the real deal. I will guarantee. See, ladies, you can. Y'all know that you have the power to destroy your husband. You have the power. You can rip him to shreds, humiliate him and chop him down. Or you can make him and mold. You can help as as. (laughs) Alice von Hildebrand says, you know, 
the, the husband is the head, the wife is the neck, <laughs> turns the head whichever way she wants. Anyway, anyway, the point is, the point is, the point is, it's in that act, uh, this is it, of self-abnegation, that's where the miracle happens. That's where grace flooded into your life on your wedding day. That's where all of heaven rejoices. But we have a choice every day because the ratification didn't just happen. Now, sacramentally, it happened on your wedding day. But we have an opportunity every day to renew the sacrament. Amen? Not just bodily, but spiritually. Amen? Priests need to get a hold of this. We need to get, and I'm, I'm going to yell at the men here most of all, because men, let me tell you, and fathers, priests, how many of you know we need men of God to stand up in pulpits and preach the gospel instead of being cowards and being afraid? But, but the parish council might not like this, right? To stand up and proclaim the truth as a father that's willing to die for his children. Amen? Amen. And I'll, I'll tell you what. My kids, I'll tell you, if, if one day, if I, if I can live long enough to hear my kids say, you know what, you can say a lot about Dad, but one thing you can't deny is he loved us, and he gave himself for us. I can go to heaven. Because that's what it's all about. See, men, we have to determine in our lives, in our marriages, I will die for you and then say, God help me to die for her. Amen? (laughs) And I'll tell you, on a physical level, on a physical level, you come in my house, you're going to come through me to get to my wife and kids. I will die for them. But you know what? In a sense, that's the easy part. The hard part is getting up and making your morning offering for them. The hard part is making the time to pray with them every night. They will not go to sleep in my house, not my kids, until they see me at the foot of their bed praying with them at night. This is what I'm talking about, folks. This is what can revolutionize our marriages when we understand. And it could revolutionize the priesthood of our, of our priests when they understand that they are called to die For their bride, the church, and I am called to die for my little domestic church back in San Diego, California. Now let's move to the next point, and that is the consummatum. All right? uh, This is where it gets good. Because we've talked about the ratification, but what about the bodily giving of uh, of, of, the bridegroom to the bride? as part of the essential elements of the sacrament of holy matrimony. And then we'll talk about the priest as well. See, because all that Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane and that explosion of grace prepared him to then go to the cross and act out bodily what he'd already done spiritually in the Garden. I say this to young people all the time. See, before you can act out bodily, namely have a right to her body in the conjugal act. Amen? What is the conjugal act but the carrying out bodily of what you've already committed to at the altar? Amen? And that's why I say, you know what? And God, God bless Christopher West. 
Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body is absolutely beautiful. I love it. But I'm going to tell you something that often presentations are lacking in presenting it. Is this. How, no matter how beautiful we, we talk about the consummation and the conjugal act, the only thing that separates the conjugal act from mortal sin is the commitment at the altar. Amen? Can I say that again? The only thing that separates, no matter how beautiful that conjugal act is, from a mortal sin is the commitment at the altar. The death at the altar. And that's why I say to uh, the young girls all the time, I don't care, you know what? I don't care how much that boy says, oh, I love you. Oh, but I love you, as he's trying to get what he wants from you, right? I always recommend to the ladies, use this part of the hand right here. Just about like that, right? You know why? Because that's not love. That's called hormones, amen? If you want to know what love is, you know what my wife and I like to do? We love to talk to couples that have been married 50 years or more. And there you discover love. I saw love when I watched my grandma, Sutton, trying to care for my grandfather, Sutton, as he was dying for bone can- from bone cancer in excruciating pain. And I had to step in. I had to bathe my grandfather. I watched my grandmother love my grandfather in a way that blew my mind. And I watched after my grandfather, Sutton, died. My grandmother died. She was dead within six months. She had never been in a hospital her entire life except to give birth to her kids. But when he died, she died. She just gave up. And she was there, she smiled at us, and she loved us. But she just wanted to go home and be with with her husband. I saw love. Folks, let me tell you, that kind of love, I say this to young people all over this country, that kind of love is not born in the back seat of a Chevy. It's born in the front pew of a church. Amen? Amen. This is what we need. See, folks, the consummatum is the physical, the bodily carrying out of that which you've already committed to spiritually. When Father says at the the altar, this is my body. Amen? As Archbishop Fulton Sheen used to say, notice the priest doesn't say, this is Jesus' body. He says, this is my body, because at that moment, he becomes Christ for us. In a mystical sense, we cannot put this in the test tube. We, we don't know this scientifically, but the fact is, he becomes Christ in a mystical sense, in a sacramental sense. And he gives himself to us, the priest does, bodily. Wow. So I say to, to the priest, if you're not living the sacrament spiritually, you can say Mass and it'd be a, a, a complete fraud. Now as Father Tregilio pointed out, it's still effective, it's valid because the sacrament is, is effective ex opera operato. Amen? But for that priest. See, the priest who ceases to pray for his bride. Amen? The priest who stops praying the divine office. The priest who thinks, well, nobody's going to know. You know, I got a golf game to get to, man. I can't be praying this thing. You know what happens? When you lose the sacrifice at the altar, when you lose that, you lose everything. Amen? And so we constantly have to come back to repent. We constantly have to come back to offering sacrifices day in and day out for our bride, whether it's a priest 
for your bride, the church, or me for my bride, the most beautiful woman on this planet named Valerie Staples that God gave to me. And for those beautiful kids of mine. Amen? This is what it's all about. I'm going to wrap things up with the best part of all. Y'all ready? (laughs) Somebody's ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you all uh, a quick story. I was telling some of the folks about it here. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I, I'm... Isn't, isn't it something how you just know in your Christian faith? See, what, what drives me crazy about doctrines like justification by faith alone... See, I'm an apologist, right? And I, <clears throat> I defend the Catholic faith. But what drives me crazy is, is justification by faith alone It is basically a spirituality... That makes void the cross. So why, why do you say that? I'm getting back to Archbishop Fulton Sheen, but Archbishop Fulton Sheen said this, any theology or any spirituality that attempts to bypass the crucifixion to get to the resurrection is a sign, as Bishop Sheen said it, he, does he scare anybody else? He scares the daylights out of me sometimes. But I'll never, the first time I heard him say this was on EWTN on one of those old shows, you know. And he says, any spirituality that attempts to bypass the crucifixion to get to the resurrection is a sign of the demonic. (laughs) And then with that look and those piercing eyes, you're like. (laughs) Now, why did he say that? You all know the context of Matthew 16, right after Jesus promised the keys of the kingdom, Peter. Jesus says, i got to go to the cross. And what does Peter say? Not so, Lord. Right? Didn't you get the memo, Jesus? We're going to take over the world. Right? You're going to be emperor, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things which be of God, but the things which be of men. Our tendency, just like Jesus, is if there's any other way. Amen? Nobody wants the cross. Nobody really in our core. We don't want to suffer. That would be contrary to our natures as human beings. But we are called to it. Amen? And if we don't see it in the context, if we don't have as its object the love of the bride. Amen? Or ladies, the love of the bridegroom. Then, my friends, it is so easy to fall into despair when we suffer. But when we have the object in mind, and you see your wife, you see your kids, and you make that offering in that context, all of a sudden your whole life, your whole marriage, everything is transformed, and the grace of God and the power of God comes into your life and into your marriage. Amen? I'm telling you, this works. Amen? I'm going to leave you with this thought. Justification by faith alone. What does it say? What you do doesn't affect where you spend eternity, right? Martin Luther said, I could commit murders and adulteries a hundred times a day. It would not affect my standing with God because I'm justified by faith alone. Wrong! Amen? Wrong. No, what we do will affect where we spend eternity. But ultimately, what you're doing is bypassing the crucifixion to get to the resurrection. I had a Baptist friend tell me one time, I, and this isn't Baptist theology, but this was a friend of mine in the Marine Corps. I'll never forget when he told me this. He said, man, I'm already part in heaven. He said, I'm already part, part there. 
My, my, my spirit's already there. My body's down here and I might do some sins, but that don't matter. Are y'all with me? I mean, come on. Is that crazy? See, no, no, no. You cannot bypass the crucifixion to get to the resurrection. Now, I could pick on my Protestant friends and justification by faith alone in that regard. But my friends, I got a bunch of Catholics sitting in front of me. So I want to pick on you. Right? We do the same stuff. We do it theologically with this crazy you know, whether it's proportionalism or fundamental option that used to be popular in the seminaries, right? If you fundamentally choose Jesus, well, then the little things that happen, you know, you slip up and commit adultery don't really matter. We do the same stuff because this is our tendency, isn't it? We've got to fight against it. It's our tendency not want to not want to acknowledge two things. St. Thomas Aquinas said, and I promise I'm leaving you with, I've been leaving you for a while, but in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6, St. Paul gives us a list of mortal sins. And he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God falls upon the children of disobedience. Right? Thomas Aquinas says, now this is 300 years before Martin Luther. Thomas Aquinas preempted him. Because Thomas says that Paul, this is in Thomas's commentary on the Ephesians. He says that Paul uses language unequivocal when he's talking about sin, because God knows that there are two tendencies we have. Number one is to deny sin is sin. And number two, to deny the ramifications of those sins. Isn't that something? Long before Martin Luther. But you know what? Long before you and I. Here's my final thought. If you and I get a hold of the serious nature of what we're called to in marriage, and the, if our priests will get to and meditate on the serious nature of their calling, folks, our souls are on the line. Amen? And we don't want to talk about this because we want to talk about fluff and just how beautiful and wonderful marriage is and priesthood and we all float around. Right? When in fact our souls are on the line, what we do in marriage, brother, you and I, you go to your body, every man in here, you go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, and you memorize this text. That's an order. St. Paul says, If any man provides not for his household, let him know he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, how many of you all knew that was in the Bible? <laughs> Boy, don't hear that one quoted a whole lot. Isn't that interesting? And Father, you might want to take note, this is a pastoral letter in 1 Timothy. It's dealing mainly with bishops and deacons, but right in the middle of it, he starts talking about marriage. Why? Because the family is the domestic church. Amen? The same can be said for priests that can be said for me. If I fail to provide for my family, and folks, this isn't just talking about putting cornflakes on the table. Amen? Though that's certainly part of it. But it's talking about providing spiritually. Men, you and I are called to take headship in teaching our kids, leading in prayer. That means turning off the football game and going to Mass on Sunday. Amen? We are called to be the leaders with our lives of generosity, like Christ, pouring ourselves out for our wives and for our kids. It is in our generosity that our children will see God. 
If we on the flip side choose to be selfish and self-centered, then our children will not see a loving father who for all eternity, all God can do, amen, is what? Love. Because that's what he is. Amen? God is love. And we know with the revelation we have in the New Testament what that means. Love makes no sense without another. Amen? Hence, ah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. For all eternity, Father pours himself out into the Son. The Son back into the Father, which becomes the Holy Spirit. Amen? In an endless circle, perfect circle of pouring himself out in love. What is creation? But God just doing what he has done for all eternity in creating that which he knows. Can't, did y'all know when God created, he created out of love? Amen? Why? Because he knew full well, men, listen to me, stop falling asleep. He knew full well when he created that his creation could not do a thing to him or for him. Amen? What, can, what could creation add to God? Nothing! He gives without expecting anything in return. That's the nature of, of, of love. He creates in love and he redeems in love. Amen? Why? Because now he gives himself on the cross as the ultimate example of the father of a family. Amen? Just as a priest, just as a husband, he dies on the cross. He gives himself to the very bride that was just spitting on him. Amen? He gives himself without asking anything in return. And there he shows us what love is. That's why, men, I always say, if one day I hear my son Timmy Say, there's one thing you can't deny about Dad. He gave himself for us. I can go to heaven happy because I've done what I'm called to do. Father, if you can hear years from now. You know, Father was a little quirky. Man, he had his... But nobody can deny. Father was there for us. He was a true Father. You have done your calling well. God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, call 330-966-2903 or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.